Tonight at, at Ground Zero Meetings, we're going to continue to go through uh, our teachings on the Bible, and we're going to be talking about Leviticus tonight. Um, normally, you know, when a new believer gets a Bible, they try to read it like it's a normal book, and you start in the beginning. That's really not how the, the Bible is meant to be read. Um, in God's infinite wisdom, he set it up that way. I can't really, you know, explain it other than, you know, it's not always the best to start in the beginning of the Bible. You know, normally right about now, when people get into Leviticus and they start reading through all the laws and all the purity things, is that when the Bible gets shut and we're like, I don't know about this. You know, like I'm just going to go to church. That's a big book. And we think that the rest of the book is filled with a bunch of stuff with do's and don'ts. But that's not really what's going on. There actually is a bigger purpose, you know, so it's really important that if you're a new believer or you're just getting back to Jesus and you had a little stint with doing things your own way and it didn't work out and you got a little spanking and now you're coming home to daddy, spend time in the New Testament, get to know Jesus, read about Jesus, stay in the New Testament for as long as you, you know, can until you try to tackle the Old Testament, you know, and it's not that there's bad stuff in the Old Testament. It's that there's a lot of information that's the history of God moving through people. You know, and right now, as an early believer, Jesus is really your only concern. As you begin to figure out Jesus and how Jesus is, is coming into your life and how to build a relationship with Jesus and, and figure out how Jesus wants you to, to begin to live and how Jesus wants you to change and how Jesus wants you to pray and, and, and all these things, as you develop this relationship with Jesus, you grow in strength and in character. And the day will come when you flip open that page of Genesis and you start reading it through that way. And things will make way more sense because you have Jesus at the center of your life. You know, I believe that it's in Hebrews that it says you can't understand the veil of Moses until the veil of Jesus has been lifted. And what that means to me is that until I get my mind wrapped around who Jesus is to the best of my ability and my relationship with Jesus is growing and I, I'm growing in my understanding and I'm developing, you know, this relationship with God, that when I go into the Old Testament, I start to see Jesus in all these other places that I wouldn't have seen him before because it was just a book, you know, and when you've developed a relationship with Jesus and you're digging into the New Testament, Jesus is jumping off that page left and right, you know, and I don't know about you if you spend time in the Bible or not. But I know for me that every day that I sit in front of that thing, God speaks to me. Every day. Every day, it's like I'm reading exactly what I need to hear or what somebody I know needs to hear. You know, and it's like, how funny is that? We were just talking about that. How funny is that? Because I need to read that. You know, and the more we read the New Testament, the Holy Spirit can begin to bring things up. You know, I had a really fun week and went through some things and, you know, I was really really struggling, you know, I had some anger, still do, I'll be honest, you know, and I just kept hearing, don't repay evil for evil, don't repay evil for evil, and I'm like, oh, but Jesus, I want to help you, just a little bit, and he's like, don't repay evil for evil, don't repay, you know, it's like, oh, all right, so I'm like, 
all right, I know it's a verse. Where is it? So I, I you know, I look it up. First Peter three nine. I'm reading through it, and I'm like, yep, yep, yep. Oh, Jesus, why do you always have to be right? Why can't I just get my way once in a while? And he's like, do you want your way? I'm like, no, I don't want my way. I just want my way. You know how it is. But I walk into the church. I'm not even lying to you. I walk in the church Wednesday night. It's a youth service, youth pastor. I walk in there, and the, the verse that's on the screen is don't repay evil for evil. And I'm like, okay, I'm hearing you. You know, and this is why it's important that we spend time in the New Testament is because the Holy Spirit starts bringing stuff up. And all of a sudden you start hearing a word or two. And, it, you know, today with our phones and with Google and, and, you know, study Bibles, you can really research and study and look into things like that. And, you know, you can Google. All of a sudden you start hearing something. And you're like, I don't know what that is. And you Google it. And it takes you to some verse. And you're like, how about that? You know, it's like, that's crazy. You know, and as we read the Bible, it says the word does not come back void. So as we keep pouring it in and we keep reading it, even when sometimes it doesn't make sense to us, and like, who's this person? Who's that person? Where's, you know, this place? And what's that? You start to learn it. You know, just as we had to learn how to run in this world, that the first time that we ever, you know, got high or got drunk or did certain things, we're like, we were fumbling and bumbling and we didn't understand terminology and this, that. But then we got real, you know, you know, familiar with worldly street terms. You know, you talk to people that don't know what we've been through and we say certain terms, they're going to look at us like we got three heads. But other people are like, I know exactly what you're talking about. And the Bible's very similar to that. As we get more familiar with it, we're going to start understanding who this person is and what this place was and what this represents and how this is, you know, moving in my life. And Leviticus is this, this book that's put in the five books of the Bible, which we would, as Christians, call it the Pentateuch. As Jews, they would have called it the Torah. You know, and the Torah is a big deal. You know, most young men, by the age they hit puberty, would have the first five books of the Bible memorized. We don't even want to read the first five books of the Bible. But here's this book of laws, you know, and it's like, what's the point to all of this? You know, the Levites were a tribe, you know, one of the 12 tribes that God decided that the Levite tribe is going to be the holy tribe or the priestly line of the tribes. And that they were going to be the ones that were going to help people grow in their relationship with God. You know, so here's Moses and he's leading these, these people out of Egypt. You know, Yahweh's moving in this powerful way. There's only a small group of them that actually really believe in Yahweh. And the majority of the millions that are following them were worshiping Yahweh, but a little bit of Egyptian gods. You know, so as things aren't going the way that they think they should go, they're constantly like, well, you should have never took us out of Egypt. You never should have, we should have never left Egypt. You know, we had good food. We had good linens, you know, and but they were in slavery. And just as we've been in slavery and things don't go our way sometimes, we think back to like what it used to be. But when we have a reality check, because we have that built-in forgetter, you know, when we have a reality check of the way it used to be, our memories aren't true because there's a lot of pain underneath the, the good memories that we think we've had. Now, we've all had good times. We all have good friends from our past lives. And, you know, there's still some quality people that we still associate with. But I know for me that I don't want to live that lifestyle anymore. 
You know, but when we first get sober or we first get saved, this new life is very intimidating. It's very confusing. We're not really sure what we're supposed to be doing. We're not sure how we're supposed to be doing it. We go through difficult times. You're like, why is this, you know, happening? Where's Jesus now? You know, and they had the same struggles thousands of years ago. You know, here's Moses delivering them from slavery where they're getting whipped and they're building bricks and building temples and building buildings and all day, every day, they're just, you know, serving the Pharaoh, you know, and they get some freedom, but now they're walking through, you know, northern Africa, you know, into the Middle East, and they're like, why did you take us out of Egypt? And it was so much better there, you know, and Moses, not really knowing what to do, he's like, God, you got to help me with these people. You know, there's millions of them. Everybody's complaining. Everybody's, you know, wanting to, to run backwards. So he takes them home. You know, when he left Egypt as a, you know, a young man, you know, he kind of just took off into the wilderness and he, you know, found a family and, and started, you know, raising his own family. And, you know, he has a stepdad and he like, I'm just going to go home because that's where Moses had his first initial supernatural contact with the living God through the burning bush. So he takes them back to Mount Sinai and he like, I don't know what to do with them, but I'm going to go hang out with God where I remember having this deep relationship with God. Even though God was talking to him all the time, he went back to something that was familiar to him and took them back to, you know, daddy's home cooking goats, you know, and, and they just sat there for over two years as you know, things got put into place because they're coming out of the world and things, they don't know what to do. Like, so these laws are starting to bring order to, you know, millions of people that don't really know what to do or don't really know how to follow God. You know, so there's these things that God's starting to put in place because they're crazy. You know, you know, every time they turn around, they're worshiping idols, you know, they're, you know, they got idols in their tent, but they're going to, you know, they're going to the temple, you know, so they're, they're living two different lives. And there's times as Christians, we live two different lives. You know, I, I go to church, I praise God, but when God's not looking, I'm kind of doing my own thing, you know, and it's part of the process as we realize that my way of doing stuff still doesn't work. Every time I turn back to sin, it's still painful. You know, it might be enjoyable for a, a night, but it, it gets painful and it, it's not working. And I turn back to God and God, I don't want to do it anymore. And we follow God and then it, God's kind of making us go through a waiting season. And we're like, well, let me help you out real quick. And I'll go over here and I'm helping God. And, you know, and it doesn't work, you know, as it hasn't worked a hundred times. But one more time, let me just check, you know, and it's like we make up all these excuses of why I can live two lives sometimes. And we don't even mean it. It's not like we're actively saying, God, you know, I'm getting away from you to go do our own thing. It's like we try to drag God with us, you know, and they're a spiritual community. You know, so when Moses goes up Mount Sinai to seek God, and that's where the Ten Commandments come into play, you know, that Moses is you know, in the presence of God and you know, pre-Jesus, this is like the closest to the Holy Spirit that you can really see because Moses comes off of these encounters with God and he's like kind of glowing, like his face is just shining and they're like, whoa, what's going on with Moses? And it freaked him out a little bit. But as Moses went up to the mountain and God's talking to him about the Ten Commandments, like everybody else is at the bottom of the hill and they, 
they peer pressure Aaron, who's supposed to be, you know, is Moses' brother, and he's kind of the head of the Levites. And they peer pressure him, and like, what are we supposed to do? Moses isn't here. Well, let's worship one of the gods from Egypt. So everybody pitches in like an earring, and they get like this mountain of gold, because there's like millions of them. They get this mountain of gold, and they forge this like golden calf. I mean, it's not like this little tiny thing. You know, like if there's a million of us, and we hand in a tiny ring, that's going to be a significant amount of gold, and they forge this thing into a calf, and they just, they worship it. Well, things get crazy. Basically, it's kind of like an orgy. You know, everybody's just, you know, doing their own thing, doing whatever they want to do. You know, they're worshiping God, but they're just worshiping the wrong God. You know, and Moses comes off the mountain, and he, like, loses it. You know, he's like, I left you in charge. What's going on? He's so mad. He breaks the Ten Commandments. He's losing his mind, you know, and lo and behold, he's got to go back up the mountain in some time and, and talk to God again because the people aren't always doing what they're supposed to be doing. You know, and this is a symbol for us that there's things in our lives that get crazy. There's people that we work with that don't worship the same God as we have. There are people in our family that don't worship the same God as we So, you know, we press into God and then we go back to our lives and things can be crazy. People are doing all the things that we're trying not to do and we feel really tempted. And that's why we have to press into God more and more. And, you know, Leviticus is really about worshiping God. You know, and God's trying to lay this thing out because they haven't had clear-cut instructions on how to really worship God. You know, so he's trying to teach them about holiness. Holiness technically means to be set apart, you know, and as we get saved or sober as specifically that if I'm trying to get sober, I can't be going to hang out in the bar, or going to the spa and wondering why I'm having a hard time, you know, and I remember early in my, in my days of trying to get sober, like I just want to go to the bar to hear the band, you know, like, you know, like that's really the reason that I'm there. You know what I mean? And it's really to pick up chicks and eventually, you know, drinking soon to follow. You know, and we we lie to ourselves that puts us in close proximity from things that we know deep down inside that we should be staying away from. You know, so God's trying to set up this system of holiness. You know, that that you're coming out of Egypt, we're coming out of the world, there's certain people, there's certain places, there's certain things that we need some distance from because there's too much temptation for someone in early recovery or early Christianity to be able to endure these types of temptations because it's hard. I know for me, when I was coming out of jail in Binghamton, you know, over and over and over again, I get out of jail, I go back home, write to my friends. By the end of the day, you know, I'm drinking and smoking and off to the, you know, off to the races I go. And I knew the last time that I was in there, I'm like, if I'm ever going to change, I can't go home. You know, and I made the decision to move to Utica. My mom lived up here, and I needed a fresh start. I needed to separate myself from my temptation. Now, lo and behold, I brought myself with me, and after some time, this is pre-Jesus, you know, I recreated my mess here. You know, because although I'm trying to get sober, there's very little change going on on the inside of me. I can say that I got a chip, I can say I got six months, I can say I even got a year. You know, and there's some change happening because I am staying sober, but the majority of who I am is still the very same person that I was 
when I was drinking and drugging, although I would say I was even more crazy because now I don't have my fastest coping mechanisms and how I turn off my pain, how I turn off my anger, how I turn off my mental craziness is that I get faded, you know, and I get under the influence and I, I just need to smoke. I just need to drink. That'll calm me down. And in some realities, it's true, but I don't stop there. You know, it's all day, every day. You know, it's not just one joint. It's not just one drink. It's not just one anything. I've, I want more or whatever it is, you know. And what God tries to do is he tries to put us in new people, places, and things. But when we get sober, we have all these, you know, fears and all these insecurities because we've been suppressing them through our influences, you know, and... You know, going to church, it's like we weird out. I don't feel like I fit in here. You know, the building's going to burn down, you know, and it's like, I don't know how many times I heard that. And my excuse, it didn't burn down when I walked through the door. It's really not going to burn down when you walk through the door. I promise you. And if it does, we'll get some marshmallows. You know, but we have to learn how to live this new way. And how do we do it? You know, for us as Christians, it's important that we're reading the New Testament. For us as Christians, it's important that we're in, you know, meetings like this or, or recovery meetings. You know, we're going to church on a regular basis, you know, that we get consistent. Just like we had our Friday night spots and our Thursday night spots and our Tuesday night spots and our Saturday night spots. And we always knew where we were going to be and we knew what was going to be happening. And everybody knew that we were going to be there. and We had this community. And if we weren't there, like, hey, why don't you come? We need that new lifestyle change that we get home groups and we get consistent in certain churches and we get consistent in certain meetings. So when we're not like, we're not present, we're missed. You know, and it's so important that we're getting separated from our old lifestyle into a new lifestyle. You know, I'm a firm believer that if I don't invest in my new life, it's just a matter of time before I return to my old one. You know, and the more I invest in my recovery and the more I invest in my Christianity and the more I try to build new relationships, when that day comes and it will come when it's a bad day and we get tempted and we get stressed out, we get overwhelmed and we're like, screw it. When we go to pick up, we got all these people and situations and places that would have to get uprooted and we really realize that I would lose a lot of things if I were to give up now. You know, and when we don't invest, it's easy to just say, I'm out. And we've all done it. I know I've done it more times than I can count. And I had to realize that if I want a new life, I got to start trying to build a new life. You know, and it's hard in the beginning. But that's why we, we get into these communities of believers and communities of recovery is that, you know, when type Life gets hard. We have places to turn. So God's trying to teach holiness and God's trying to teach worship to people that used to live a different way. Now, we all worship in different ways. And we don't realize that we are worshiping in the ways that we're worshiping. You know, and some of us, you know, as we're listening to the music before, the, you know, the message, you see some of us with our hands raised. You know, and I remember when I was a brand new Christian and I'm going to church and I see people with their hands raised. I'm like, those people are weird. You know, I don't know what's going on. I'm just going to stay away from them. You know, and you hear people praying and it's like they're praying out loud in public. Like, what's wrong with them? But if you really think about it, we do that stuff all the time in just different forms. 
you know, many of us are football fans. We talk to the TV a lot. Like those players can hear what we're saying. We tell the announcers to shut up because they don't know what they're doing. We tell them, you know, run it this way or run it that way or pass this way. We're technically praying to our idols without realizing that's not what we would say we're doing, but we're communicating in that way. What happens when a play goes in our direction? Where do our hands go? Up. Woo, we're excited. So it's an element of excitement. It's an element of I'm really happy about what's happening right now. You know, and we're communicating in that way. You know, <clears throat> what happens, you know, if the cops come and they're like, freeze! Hands go up. It's an element of surrender. You know, and as we're surrendering to God and saying, I want you in my life, and I, I don't always understand this, you know, and I remember, like, the whole worship idea and the music was crazy to me. Like, I would have never listened to worship music prior to Jesus. And even months into trying to figure out this Jesus thing, like worship music to me was like nails on a chalkboard. Like, oh my God, I can't stand this stuff. So I would come late and I would skip the worship music because I didn't get it completely. You know, and then I went to see some live music and just being in that atmosphere, the Holy Spirit was beginning to move. You know, I remember sitting in my chair and some guy comes over and he puts his hand on me and he's praying, you know, and tears are rolling down my face. And I'm fighting God as much as I can. And I got up on my chair and I went off to the side and I just put my hands up and tears are just flowing. And like the presence of God comes and it's like the most peaceful thing that I've experienced at that point in my life because I've never really experienced the presence of God in that way. You know, and I would really encourage you. To, to write down some of these, you know, bands that we listen to or ask me some bands that will help you to worship and, you know, get used to it because it's, it's something I turn to all the time now to bring peace in my mind. You know, when I'm on the job site, I'm still a carpenter. You know, I go to work most days. I have worship music playing and it just helps me to think. You know, I love hardcore music. I love heavy metal music. But if I'm trying to think, that's not what I'm trying to listen to. You know, and it just, worship music just brings peace into my life and it helps me to concentrate on Jesus. And sometimes without even realizing it, I'm singing along with a song and I'm cutting boards and I'm doing this and that. You know, and some of the times that the people that are with me, I look over and they're new to this and they're like singing the song too. And I'm like, got one. You know, and it's like worshiping Jesus is what this is all about. You know, and... When we learn that we can do that in the privacy of our own home, in the privacy of our own bedroom, in the privacy of our own car, and we realize that it's not about church on a Sunday, that I can have God all the time, I just have to put that foot forward. And music is that big thing for me. Like, I thought my life was over when I got saved. Like, I, I say it all the time. Like, I thought, like, hymns was like it. Like, I'm going to go to church, and we got to sing hymns, and, like, I'm going to have to get rid of all my music. And I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And I realized, you know, Christians are like, no, that's not what it is. There's all this. And I started finding music. You know, when I first got saved, all the money that I would spend on cocaine went to FYE, and I'm buying CDs, you know, and I'm trying to find this band and that band. I'm trying to find something that I can relate to, you know. And I was telling some of the guys earlier, it's like I have hip-hop music. I got hardcore music. I got heavy metal music. I got blues. I got jazz. I got worship. I got indie. Like, I'm a music person, so... 
if it sounds good, I got some of it, you know, and because I needed a new thing to help my mind relate, you know, because before I would listen to all this crazy, angry, heavy metal, you know, depressing suicide, talking about girls inappropriate, talking about drugs all the time, talking about this, talking about that. So I listened to that type of music. And for me, my brain goes there. So I needed music that was going to help me to focus on God. And for me, I started listening to Christian music. And I'm really grateful that I did that. And that's your own thing that you got to figure out. You know, when I was a younger Christian, I'm like, everybody's got to listen to Christian music. And some people aren't ready for that step. But I really encourage you that it should be part of your uh, playlist at some point that you should be trying to put God in your music between Sundays or between Fridays that you'll be surprised how God begins to show up. So God's trying to teach us about worship and God's trying to teach us about holiness. But one of the greatest things that happens in Leviticus, although you see a pattern of it in Exodus, is the Passover. You know, they put the blood on the doorway, the death angel comes, you know, and, you know, the Hebrew tribes get, you know, the death angel passes over and, you know, you know, there's all these people that die, you know, and that's a symbol of Christ's blood being shed, paying for death, you know, our sins are, you know, set free. Well, here's this new symbol and it's called the atonement, you know, and for whatever reason, and you'd have to really do a lot of research, and there's more time, you know, that you'd have to do that to really figure out why everybody's trying to kill animals all the time, you know, for, you know, sacrifices. But it, it literally is in every religion. If you date back, everybody's killing something, you know, and some of the crazier demonic tribes are killing babies and, and killing people, you know, and human sacrifices. But, you know, typically... There's animal sacrifices on many different levels in many different religions. But here's this atonement. And it's really the first time that you see it where they're really, you know, having this sacrifice of blood for the covering of sin. You know, you know, and here's God's presence. They have this tent, you know, and God just kind of lights this thing up. Like at nighttime, this tent would just be glowing for miles to see and you can't go inside of it. Because God's so holy and that there isn't the covering of our sin that people that tried to go in it that shouldn't have been in it, they're dead. You know, and it's like, well, how come God's being holy and God's loving and people are dying? It's because he's so holy and we have such sin in our life and the wages of sin is death that because of that, we can't take his holiness and we just, our bodies shut down. You know, it's not that God is like, I'm going to kill you. Like, it, it's just that he is so holy. It would be like us going from here and say, I want to go on a trip to the sun. Like, we cannot withstand the power and the heat of the sun. And at some point, we would just combust. You can't get that close to that. Otherwise, you die. You know, so they have this tent that's got his presence in it. And they get these goats. And there's two of them. There's one goat, and they slit its throat, and it bleeds, and they take his blood, and they, they kind of bring it into the tent. And it's the covering of sin. And then there's the second goat, and the, the Levite priests would basically put their hands on this goat, confess all the sins of the people, and then they'd release this goat into the wilderness to never be seen again. And it's called the scapegoat. 
And many of us in here at some point have been a scapegoat. And many of us in here have been the black sheep of our family. And it's the one that gets released into the wilderness that nobody wants anything to do with. You know, but it's literally a biblical term of one, the atonement on one side, and then the, the animal that carried its sin into the wilderness. You know, and because we've been such sinners, we've been called black sheep or we've been called the scapegoat at some point or another in our lives. But God's starting to set up this system of the payment of sin through the atonement, which means basically getting set free of. You know, so, you know, he's setting up all these things in Leviticus that when you're just reading it, you're like, why do I have to do this? I don't have to do this. Why can't I eat crayfish anymore? I don't understand that. You know, and there's all these, like, sanitary laws that today, because we have refrigeration and we have, you know, common, you know, cleanliness, you know, that you don't have to really necessarily deal with. But back then, you know, if somebody's got some issues, you know, they need to to, to get out of the village. Otherwise, everybody's going to get sick, you know, so... Anytime that something would get really moldy, they'd be like, get away from it. You know, we don't know what it is. You know, and, you know, if you have black mold in your house, like, you have serious issues. You know, and it's the same thing, you know, 2,000 years ago. If you had certain types of mold, it's very contagious and you can get really sick. Other types of mold are not so much. And they'd be like, oh, that's that kind of mold. You know, just kind of spray it down and we'll be good. You know, you know, but other types of mold, like, destroy the building. You know, and we do that today. Like, certain things happen in our house. It's like, tear out the wall. Like, it's got to go, you know. And it's very similar today. But what God is really trying to show us is that this is the way you used to do it. This is the way the tribes around you do it. This is the way that they worship their gods. And I want you to worship me in this way. And I want you to stay away from these types of animals. Because that's what they do. You know, so now we read it and like, What's the big deal with pigs? You know, like Jesus gave us bacon. You know, and it's like we don't have to necessarily stay away from that. But if, you know, you know anything about, you know, pork products, that if it's not refrigerated quickly, it just starts to decay really fast. You know, so they would just say, don't even mess with that animal because you can get sick really fast if it's not handled properly. And they had no way to handle it. God said, no pork. You know, but then Jesus came along and said, bacon's good. You know, so there's all these things in place that, you know, God's trying to teach us how to handle these relationships with him. You know, you know, and later on in the New Testament, you know, the the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. And they're like, well, what's the greatest commandment? You know, and Jesus says to love God with all your heart, mind and soul and to love your neighbor as yourself. And literally every commandment can get wrapped up in that one statement. That if you're putting Jesus first and you're trying to love yourself and trying to love other people, you're not robbing and stealing and, and committing, you know, coveting other things. You're not, you know, doing all the things that it's telling. You're not putting other gods before Jesus. You know, so literally as we learn to worship Jesus, we learn to have this relationship with Jesus. We learn to love Jesus back. We learn that he loved us. We learn to love ourselves for the, probably the first time. And we learn to love other people because I don't know about you, but I know about most of us is that we didn't love ourselves very much as growing up. You know, we got cast aside, we got rejected, we got abandoned, we got treated in certain ways. So at very young ages, we thought we're worthless and 
because of that worthlessness, we went in directions and did a bunch of stuff because nobody cares about us and I don't care about me. And we did a bunch of stuff that we, we regretted, but we're like, what, what does it matter? You know, I don't care, you know, but deep down inside of us, we do care. But then we get sober and all that insecurity, all that pain, all that rejection, all that fear, all that abandonment stuff comes to the surface and we're like a raw nerve. I know I was, you know, and as I try to deal with recovery, it's like I'm angry and angrier and angrier, you know, and eventually I started working steps and eventually I, I ran into God. You know, I always say that AA brought me to God, but my sin brought me to Jesus, you know, and, and, you know, I, I think, <laughs> I absolutely believe that AA gave me this buffer that I was able to, to slowly get into this understanding that I needed God in my life. Because it, there's no way that I would have went from an atheist and as pissed off as I was and walked to the door of the church and dealt with any of that nonsense. Anybody that was religious, I wouldn't have dealt with it. You know, like, screw this place, I'm out. You know, so God gave me this buffer zone in recovery where I learned that I needed a higher power than I wasn't it. I did a horrible job at running my life. And I started seeking out different stuff. Lo and behold, God's behind me like, oh, you're getting closer, you're getting closer. And eventually when my way and my God's didn't work one more time, I was ready for Jesus. You know, and so I really encourage, you know, if you see somebody that's seeking God on any level, share your experience, strength, and hope with them of how you got to where you are, but don't try to push too hard because you'll push them away when you're really trying to draw them in. And as we live by our examples, they'll want to know more about what we believe in. So often we try to Bible thump or even AA big book thump, and we push people away when we're trying to teach them that this is the way, but they're not quite ready yet, and we try to force something when we should just live it and be an example and be the light. you know. And then they see that there's something different, and they want what we have rather than us force-feeding somebody in a way that doesn't work. So there's, you know, Leviticus is this format that we're learning how to worship God, how to have the forgiveness of our sin, and how to live according to the law. Now, the law is completely fulfilled by what Jesus did upon the cross. You know, so we technically don't have to be trying to follow all these rules but some of them are still true today. You know, I make fun of the bacon, you know, and the, and the ham and the pork products, you know, like, but the truth of the matter is there's still stuff as you read some of the things in Leviticus, like that's still good for today. That's still good for today. That's still good for today. But some of these things are purity. You know, they're, God's trying to teach us about purity, purity of heart, purity of living, purity of, you know, cleanliness. You know, and some of that stuff's true today. Like, take a bath, you know, get the mold out of your house. Like, yep, yeah, that's still in there. But, you know, if you're bleeding, you don't need to leave the village for a week. You know, like, okay, we don't need to do that. We just put a band-aid on. You know, it's like, you know, there's all these different things, you know, that everybody throws out the tattoo one, which, you know, I, I get a lot because I have a lot of tattoos. But, you know, if you read through that chapter, it says don't wear clothes with two different types of thread. Well, all of us have sinning tonight, if that's the case. Like, there's not one of us that has a pure garment on. You know, and it says don't cut the, you know, the hair on your face. Well, half of us in here are sinning. You know, you know, 
So if that's the case, you know, so don't mark your body in the image of other gods. Well, what God is showing us in that one chapter is that the tribes around them were doing certain things, and God's saying separate yourself from them. You know, just as God's trying to separate us from the old living and the old people, separate yourself. You know, and I can't be around the people, places, and things. And some of our families are some of that people, places, and things. You know, and we have to walk on that and tread that line very carefully because you get around certain members of your family, and you're like, I can't handle this. You know, and maybe they're not using, but they take your emotions and take them to the roof. You know, and you need to know your boundaries, you know, that I can't go around mom or dad because they are drinking and smoking weed. I can't go around my brother because he's going to want me to get high with him. You know, so until I get Jesus figured out, I don't have the strength to venture down certain pathways. You know, for me, I left Binghamton in 2002, and I had seven years sober, which meant I was probably in in Utica probably 10 years before God opened the door to some of my old friends, you know, and Facebook is, uh, you know, has its, its good size as well as it's bad. But, you know, through Facebook, you know, they see how much I've changed, you know, and, and I think it was two years ago, you know, a buddy of mine was, they're playing in a band and they got an opening gig to Shadows Fall. And some of you don't know who that is. And some of you do. And Shadows Fall is like a top name metal band from all around the country, and they're opening up for them. And like, bro, you gotta come. And I'm like, I'm coming. And it was in a legion, and everybody's drinking, you know, and it's not where I would normally be, but I have seven years sober, and I'm going to celebrate my friend's victory. Because he's been playing in a band forever, and here's like the, the best show that he's ever played in his entire life, and I can't be like, well, I'm a Christian, I can't go to that place. What's that show him? You know, so I went and I represented, you know, that I'm his friend. And as soon as the show was over, I'm out. I'm not going to the after party because I know what's going to happen there. You know, and I always made sure that I had a drink in my hand. You know, I always had water in my hand. I had a bottle of water. So anybody's like, you need a drink? Got one, thanks. You know, and, you know, I was in and out. And there's times that when we wait and we let Jesus set us free, and we learn to live according to what God has for us, you know, the big book tells us that we can go to parties and we can go to weddings and we can go anywhere because we're not afraid of falling into those temptations because the thought of a drink is like sticking our hand in a hot flame. And Jesus teaches us how to walk in freedom. But you need to be walking in freedom. You know, if I would have done that at two years, would I have made it out? I don't know. You know, and it's so important that we know our own limitations but the people that I was living with, they knew where I was going, and I let them know what I was doing, and I let them know I'm out, I'm leaving, you know, and, you know, I was accountable, even though I was in a place that I shouldn't have been, but, you know what, my friend sees that my life is different, and one of the greatest things that happened at that show is that a guy that I used to party with, I haven't seen him in seven years, he started dating a Christian woman, and she brought him to church, and he got led to the Lord. And he's like, I've been following your Facebook posts, and you help me out so much, more than you could ever know. Every time you post something, it's exactly what I need to see. And he, I ran into him the first time I've seen him in 10 years, and he's telling me how I've been helping him with Jesus through social media, and I see him at this show. You know, So God can use all aspects of our lives, you know, but 
It's important that we get separated. It's important that we learn how to follow Jesus. It's important that we work on our purity. It's working on our relationship with God, worshiping God. And the day will come when certain doors might open that before certain times, if we try to go to certain places or go around certain people or do certain things, it can be a serious mistake. But I promise you there's a freedom in Christ that when you get to a certain place, there is no aspect of this world that you want anything to do with. So anybody, you can see people using, you can see people partying, you're, you know, summer's happening, you're going to see the activity everywhere now, everybody's going to be out on the stoop, you're going to see the handshakes, you're going to see the this, that, and the other thing. We don't want anything to do with that. You know, I'm not missing anything. You know, and I have friends, don't you miss it? Not at all. There's not one aspect of that lifestyle that I miss. Well, don't you miss the taste of a beer? No, I don't, because it's not the taste of the beer. I don't stop at a beer. I don't stop at a joint. I don't stop at a line. I stop when I get arrested, you know, and I'm tired of wearing those beautiful handcuffs, you know. So, you know, it's important that we learn how to follow God, you know, and that was really the purpose of the book of Leviticus is that it was teaching people that have never really followed God how to follow God, you know, and that's why it's so important that we stay in the New Testament. And, you know, Jesus is our Levitical priest, you know, and as we learn how to be a priest, that we become our own priest, that we don't need priests, that we are Levites today. Through what Jesus has done in our lives and through our relationship with God, that we have our own intercessor. We don't have to go to somebody else to help me to get to God. Although we do need pastors and spiritual brothers and spiritual sisters to teach us certain things about the Bible and teach us how to walk when we don't know how to walk, that those are important relationships that we need. You know, that I can't just do this on my own because I fall on my face more times than I want. And it's so important that we follow this pattern, but we look at it from a New Testament perspective, that all those things that are getting discussed in Leviticus, I need it today. I need it in my life this week. So this is how the Old Testament relates to our walk today. But without Jesus, and you're reading it in the early stages of our walk with God, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't understand this. I don't understand that. You know, and But through the lens of Christ, all these things start to pop off the page. So I really encourage you, if you're new at this game, just hang out in the New Testament. You know, The time will come when you get to venture down these roads. The book's waiting for you. You're going to spend the rest of your life reading it. So you're, you don't need to be in a hurry. You're not missing anything. You know, the greatest thing that you need is Jesus. So I just really encourage you to hang out in, in, the, in the Gospels and learn how to be your own Levite. Would you just bow your head to me? Lord, I just thank you so much. I thank you for all that you're doing. Lord, I, I pray that these seeds can get planted deep down inside of each and every one of us. Lord, help us to grow in our understanding of your word. Help us to grow in our understanding of who you are. Help us, Lord, to develop this intimate, personal relationship, Lord, that your presence will come on us as we worship you. Your presence will come on us as we devote our lives to you. Your presence will come on us as we separate ourselves from the ways that we used to live, Lord, that we need you more than anything in our lives, Lord. I just pray, Lord, if there's anybody that hasn't you know, felt the Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that you would begin to open up those doors and help them to realize that you are real, that you are here, that you are with them, and that you love them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.